for half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I am John Jagay. As baseball season gets a little bit closer, hope springs eternal, and we go out to Seattle with a guest I've been wanting to have on the show for a long time. From the class of 88, he is the Senior Vice President of Marketing Communications for the Seattle Mariners, Kevin Tippy-Martinez. Welcome to the show. Jag, thank you so much for uh, making time to chat with me. And thank you from the bottom of my heart for all the work that you are doing to chronicle the station's history and all the people that played a, a small role in making the station what it is. I appreciate that. Thank you. Before we get to your role... Tell me about where you grew up and how you found Syracuse and then eventually the radio station. I grew up in uh, central New Jersey and Jag, from the time I was about seven years old, I had two interests, two interests, baseball and broadcasting. Perfect. (laughs) I have two older brothers. Um, They both played the game. My mother, my father both played and loved the game of baseball. Um, You know, as a family, we'd always play catch in the backyard. Our conversation centered around baseball. We loved going to games. I would sit in front of the TV and watch the New York Mets for hours upon hours. My mom and dad taught me how to keep score. I'd actually listen to games on radio and keep score. I was that fanatical about it. Uh, At age eight, I started playing the game of baseball and I never really stopped through my freshman year in college. And simultaneously as a youngster, I fell in love with broadcasting, interestingly enough. I loved watching sports and, and on TV and listening to it on radio. And one day, my parents finally relented to my constant nagging, and they took me to New York City, Jag, to go on the NBC studio tour. Yes. Jag, I went in there. I could remember it like it was yesterday, truly. It was magic. Seeing the studios seeing the newsroom, seeing master control, everything just connected with me. The possibilities were so exciting. And from that moment on, I immersed myself in broadcasting. I learned at a very early age, Syracuse was the school that I needed to go to. But a funny thing happened along the way (laughs) to graduating high school. My love of the game of baseball intensified as well. And I had the opportunity to go play baseball at a uh, Division three school in Pennsylvania, the University of Scranton, not too far from Syracuse. And while I had a wonderful freshman year, I realized that Syracuse was still calling and uh, transferred after my freshman year to Syracuse and best decision I ever made. So you kind of almost had to choose between broadcasting and baseball at that point? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I... I realized I'm not going to have a career in baseball, but perhaps in the world of broadcasting and communications, you know, I had been accepted into the Newhouse School and, you know, it just, it was in the back of my head the whole time, like, am I doing the right thing? And after a year and some conversations with some really dear people in my life, it was clear, you know, that I needed to transfer. And really after the the first semester of my freshman year, 
filed the paperwork and got accepted again to CUSE and made it. And, you know, I, gosh, talk about feeling it right from the moment you step on campus, the fall of 1985, you know, the station, JPZ had just moved to FM. I remember getting on campus in the fall of 85 and I knew about Z89. I had done my homework. I knew about WAER, UUTV. And, you know, transferring, I felt I was far behind. I felt I needed to dive in yeah. and really kind of catch up with everybody else and take advantage of all the opportunities that are there at Syracuse for students. So I remember flipping on Z89. I was blown away. I was absolutely blown away. The station sounded so good. Um, I love the music they were playing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The DJs. I mean... I couldn't believe these DJs were students. I mean, they were so vibrant. Their personalities um, hitting posts left and right. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is incredible. My focus, though, Jag, at that time was sports. You know, that's what I went to Syracuse to focus on. You mentioned to me offline and also a moment ago that you did AER and JPZ. Right. That was a little bit of a, a cold war still at that point, wasn't there? Yeah, it was. And it was a funny journey to do both. You know, Z89 sounded so good on the air. I'm like, I got to get there. And I found Watson Hall. I went there even before the orientation. And I met two super nice guys that were running the sports department, Howie Seidman and Tom Petrie. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't be more welcoming. And just that energy and that vibe. And we all know it if you spent time at the station, just that atmosphere. It's really unmatched. They welcomed me right out of the gate. I did some auditions. They gave me a sports report. Next thing I knew, I was doing sports wrap up at night. We did a, a Sunday morning magazine show called the Press Box. We did play by play of women's basketball, which was incredible. And, and even we experimented with a sports call-in show. It really gave me a great foundation. And as I moved throughout that first year at, at Syracuse, you know, got ingrained in, in WAER. And yeah, there was a little bit, you shouldn't do both or you couldn't do both. And uh, eventually, like I said, I love the music and I was just enamored with the DJs. I'm like, this is the coolest gig in the world. So I transitioned at Z89 to do a lot of DJing, which I absolutely loved. And to this point in my life, probably the most fun I've ever had. I uh, ended up becoming the chief announcer for a year. So then I focused at Z89 on the DJing and at AER on doing sports. So, you know, the broadcasting business is all about reps and Syracuse University offers its students so many great opportunities. I wanted to take advantage <laughs> as much of those opportunities as possible. That is interesting that you did uh, the music side at Z and then you did the sports side at AER. And I think throughout the 50 plus years of people that I've been talking to, there are some folks, regardless of whether it was a friendlier dynamic or a more rivalry dynamic between the two radio stations, there were folks who were hungry, who wanted to do both of all generations and did, right. like yourself. Right. Who are some of the names, uh, you mentioned the two sports guys that were welcomed you in when you first got to the station, but then when you got to the music side, who were some of the names that you worked with and around, whether music, sports, or otherwise, at JPZ? He's reaching for his notes, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I, well, because I, I wanted to be prepared for you. Um, on the sports side, I mentioned Howie. Uh, Howie couldn't, like I said, more welcoming. It just made me feel so comfortable and like I'd been there for years. But uh, Neil Prezant was the sports director, another great guy, super smart. I wish I had Neil Prezant's voice, the dulcet tones of Neil Prezant. He was, <laughs> he was uh, so good. Jim Morrison 
another great guy at the JPZ Sports Department that was a big figure there. And then cousin Danny Corson. Oh, yeah. He actually started at Z89 Sports and then moved over to uh, hosting the morning show with Larry Barron. So those guys, you know, were at Z89 Sports. But then on the sort of the whole station side, like I got there and, you know, guys like Rusty Burrell and Rocco Macri and Chris Bungo. I mean, these guys were they seem like professionals. They were so smart and polished. You know, I was kind of in awe of them and talk about having great mentors and people that you could look up to and learn from. It was just, it was an incredible environment. I knew I was home. I was in the right place. And uh, you had to pry me out of that station. I spent so much time there. Yeah, you and so many others, myself included, <laughs> right. along the years. So on the air, chief announcer, anything else uh, that you were involved with or stories you want to tell from your time at JPZ? There's one funny story, Jag, I'll, I'll never forget. It was the fall of 86. And at that point, I had a, a Monday DJ shift from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Mm -hmm. And the senior staff was led by the head of programming, Hall of Famer, Carl Weinstein. Yep. They had been working on new imaging for the station. And I think you probably know this better than me. And I, w I was there at the time. <laughs> you know the history. Um, I think we were transitioning from future hits to power hits. Sounds right. Does that sound right? Yep. So here I am. I walk in for my shift, um, 10 a.m. shift, and I get there and you know how the transition from jocks goes. The morning show was ending up. So they end. I get in there. That last song before the top of the hour is playing. And I'm getting set up and into the room walks Weinstein and Brian Dubkowski. Okay. Brian was a super nice guy, extraordinary at production. Extraordinary. And, you know, these guys had worked for weeks, them and other people, on producing all the new top of the hour, the station IDs, right? Um, the drops, the stingers, all of that. And they did a fabulous job. Well, here I come in, walking in, <laughs> the DJ, and at 10 a.m., they're transitioning to all of the new imaging. And I'm the guy that's going to hit the first t new top of the hour. And these guys are hovering over me. They're, you know, <laughs> they're like, okay, Kev, you hit the top of the hour at one second remaining in the song that's playing. And then at two seconds, you hit the, I think, Lisa Lisa and the Colt Jam was the song that was, was coming. Then you hit the Lisa Lisa and the Colt Jam song, and then the top of the hour will post, and it'll sound terrific. And, you know, like proud parents, they're sitting there giving me all these instructions. <laughs> I go, fellas, fellas, I got it. Not my first rodeo. You know, kind of was my first rodeo, but that's okay. You know, like, I got this. So then... You know, the Hall of Famer, Weinstein, comes over to me and he starts showing me at what level to run each piece of sound. <laughs> I can picture this. And I said, that's it. I said, that's the final straw. I say, hey, Carl, why don't you do this? Why don't you <laughs> run the board for the inaugural? And he looked at his eyes light up and he's like, Kev, really? You'd let me do it? It's your shit. I said, no, Carl, you and Brian have worked. So... Carl, like, pushes me out of the way. He says, hey, Brian, <laughs> come up. And these guys, they get over this board, Jag, like two surgeons over an operating table. <laughs> and and they, you know, bada bing, bada boom, bada bop. They hit it all. It sounds unbelievable. Lisa, Lisa, and the cult jam, the top of the hour. It's all blended in perfectly. They post. 
and they celebrate like they just hit a walk-off homer in Game 7 of the World Series, right? They are ecstatic, and I'm just watching this, and I'm like, this is what it's all about, the pride, the attention to detail, and these are college students, right? But so passionate, and I just thought it embodied everything that station is about and how much people care so much about all of the details. And I think it makes being in that environment, we experience it, we keep it with us our entire career. And it was just, I'll never forget that. It it stayed with me. I was, you know, relatively new to the station at that point. And it was the birth of Power Hits. (laughs) It was awesome. You know, sometimes when I'm doing these interviews, I think about, geez, what am I going to use for a clip? I think that one stands out pretty quickly to me. (laughs) So you mentioned to me also uh, an email before we sat down today, Kevin, that there are folks, lifelong friends you made at the station, other relationships that you formed, you've kept in touch with over the years. Yeah, well, I didn't really know him at the time, Carl Weinstein, during that (laughs) wonderful introduction of the new imaging. Um, But (laughs) over time, you know, we got to know each other better and became friends. You know, I think about Hotshot Scott Bergstein. Um, just saw him a few months ago. That friendship remains. Uh, Mike Tierney, who had an incredible impact on the station's history. Mike lives out here in Seattle. So I'm fortunate to get to see him often. People like Gigi Katz was a program director at the station when I was there. She's a lifelong friend. Her and her a daughter were out here last summer and got to revisit. You know, and I mentioned Rusty Burrell and Rocco and Chris. There are so many people, Scotty Meach, Hal Rude. You know, when I was graduating, they were coming in. We've all stayed in touch. I remember bumping into Meach. I was down in, in Las Vegas for a convention and I bump into Meach in an elevator. I mean, it was- <laughs> No kidding. <laughs> He's getting off, I'm getting on. And of course, you know, you stop and you you revisit and- um It's such a wonderful environment at the station. And, you know, as you said, you know, we spend so much time there. You form these friendships. And, uh, you know, if you're intentional about staying in touch or even unintentional, if you bump into somebody in an elevator, you pick up right where you left off. I'm glad you mentioned Meech. I wanted to ask you about this. And you probably heard this in the Larry Barron tribute episode. Meech told the story of him getting to campus and you were assigned to him as his peer advisor. And he said, oh, yeah, I know Larry Barron. And I don't remember the exact phrasing, but you said something to the effect of, well, you know, Larry Barron, what the hell you need me for? <laughs> is that true? Yeah, that is absolutely true. You know, I had the privilege of, of being a peer advisor for a year there. And Scott was uh, in the group of students. And I reached out uh, back then. You know, the only way you could talk to somebody was via phone. And I made initial sure. calls to everybody. And we set up a time to meet on the New House Plaza all right, Scotty, I'll meet you on uh, Friday at 10 a.m. on the plaza. And here comes Scott. And he meets me and introduce myself. And I'm ready. I'm armed with all my information. I have a handout for him. Here's how you get involved at this station, that station. And before I even get to that, he drops on me. You know, I said, why'd you pick Syracuse? And he starts explaining. And along the way, he said, you know, and Larry Barron worked at my high school radio station. And, you know, I developed a, a good friendship with Larry. And uh, I basically folded up the all the packaging information, <laughs> put, it, put it under my shoulder. And I said, if you're friends with Larry Barron, you're in great shape. You're in the best hands you can be in for somebody who wants to work in radio. I'm always a resource for you, Scott, if you have any questions. But <laughs> I think you got a bigger name. So... 
<laughs> so and uh, and that was that was it. And because you know Larry's whole deal, even from a young age, was about mentorship. Whether you knew him or not, Larry quickly became your friend and would be there for you and, and just give you great sage advice. And I'm so glad that that group that you've mentioned uh, has set up the Larry Barron Fund for Mentorship to carry on his legacy. Um, it's so sad that we've lost him, but the impact he held on the station is going to continue even after his passing because of uh, what so folks have recognized in what he did for so many folks throughout the years. No question. And the work that you're doing and having these stories out there will only help keep that legacy alive for sure. So thank you. It's WJPZ. At 50. Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence. This is WJPZ at 50. I want to turn to your career after Syracuse. Uh, Take me through your journey from graduation and to where you are now. After college, I was fortunate to, again, as I stated earlier, I grew up in New Jersey, right? So very East Coast based. I was fortunate to land a job in New York City at the ABC television network in their um, affiliate relations and marketing group. And once I was there, Jag, I still had this love of sports, right? Yeah. And I was trying to find a way into ABC Sports. So, you know, you got to be persistent. Learn that at JPZ. And, sure. um, you know, but I was in the building. And, you know, if I see somebody at the in the commissary having lunch that worked at ABC Sports, go introduce yourself. And long story short, started taking vacation days and working weekends in ABC Sports. And I was in heaven. It took me back to that NBC studio tour. I mean, it just felt, I'm like, this is, this is where I belong. And I was at ABC for a year and a half and I was promoted. Um, and I really had a path on the network side outside of ABC sports, but I was making progress at ABC sports as well. And then I heard about the opportunity with the Seattle Mariners. Now the Mariners had just gone through a new ownership change and Jeff Smullyan of MS Broadcasting, Jeff owned MS Broadcasting, and they had WFAN in New York and Hot 97 in New York. Yep. And uh, Jeff bought the team and kind of word made it back to New York that they were building a new marketing department. And there's the love of baseball for me. Now, it's all the way across the country, and my my world is going really well here in New York and this job, and I'm really happy, but a chance to work in Major League Baseball? Really? Sure, yeah. So, you know, I put materials together, updated my resume, sent it all in, and I got a call from the vice president of marketing of the Seattle Mariners, and fortuitously, the Mariners were coming to New York City to play the Yankees. Hmm. He invited me to the game. He said, let's meet at Yankee Stadium. Now, as a lifelong <laughs> Mets as a lifelong Mets ask, fan, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Going to Yankee Stadium was enemy territory, but yeah, Jag, I mean, it was like something out of a movie. I go there and meet with him for nine innings, and he's expressing the vision. The Mariners want to take their uh, broadcasts in-house. They had some really progressive ideas from a marketing standpoint. 
you know, and a lot of them came from radio and it just, everything felt right, except moving across the country. Yeah. Big move, right? But again, you talk to people you love and trust and the advice was, this is such a unique opportunity. These are both your passions and you can blend them. You got to give it a shot. And I really felt like I was sort of leaving something that I had worked hard to build here at ABC. And Jag, it was fortunate to get the offer. I took the job. Best decision uh, professionally that I ever made. 32 years later, still working with the Mariners. Now, I took a brief hiatus. I moved to Boston, your hometown, Mm -hmm. to work for the Celtics for two years, which was... Really? Yeah. Yeah, which was an incredible experience. I was there for the final year of Boston Garden and then the first year of the new building. In marketing, that's a hell of a time to be there, Kevin. Well, and wow, what a learning experience too, right? I mean, to go through that. And then interestingly enough, I go through those two years in Boston and then the Mariners call me when they get their new ballpark that opened in 1999. So in 97... I moved back to Seattle, Washington. I've been back in Seattle ever since. So let me back up for a second. Yeah. So it was uh, 91 that you first got to the Mariners? 90. 1990 was the first year. Yeah. And what was your title in that first role? Yeah. Promotions manager was the title. Okay. Yeah. And it was great. I mean, Jag, now at the Mariners, you know, we have 150 to 200 employees and we had like 54 employees back then. (laughs) So you did everything. It was round the clock. It felt like I was back at Z89. We were working all day, all night, Yeah, but you loved it. You know, you loved it. And it was such a great environment because, you know, at that time in 1990, you know, the Mariners had never had a winning season. Right. So the whole mindset was, how do you get people to pay attention to us? How can we surprise the marketplace and do things that will really get people's attention and make Mariners baseball fun. And oh, by the way, we had a 19, 20 year old named Ken Griffey Jr. that was just breaking on the scene at the time. Well, that helped, I'm sure. (laughs) So that helped incredibly. But all the stuff around the game and how we position the franchise, oh my gosh, it was an incredible time to be a part of the organization for sure. So I would imagine you're doing stuff at that time that's a little more commonplace now with all the promotions you see, you know, during innings, between innings at Major League Stadiums. I'd imagine you guys were at the forefront of that with this young group of market people coming in to sort of reinvent the wheel a little bit. Yeah, you know, and again, it's because we had that runway. And I think that's a lesson that I learned at JPZ and I've tried to keep with me my whole career. And as I grow older... And, you know, we have new people join our organization and they come in with these fresh ideas. It's a lesson to just step back, let it breathe, let that idea breathe, give it a shot. And, you know, if you have that mindset, you'd be amazing at what really takes shape and takes hold and connects with fans. And yeah, we did a bunch of stuff that, uh, you know, hadn't been done before. And yeah, some of it you still see around, around the game. We were on the cutting edge of of walk-up music, you know, for years. And again, this was all of our radio background. You know, for years, it was the organist who would play a little theme song as players walked up to the plate 
And we said, well, why don't, what if we took a popular song? Yeah. You know, and we were operating back then. I mean, now everything's digital, Jag, right? But we had carts just like we had oh. back in the 80s oh, and 1989. Yes. And we had hooks of songs, you know, queued up, right, for each player. And it was a wonderful creative environment and so much fun. And just to see fans react to your work. You know, in radio, you can wait to get the numbers and the ratings, right? But when you're working in a live event, environment to see something you're doing and then to see the reaction it gets in your veins it's pretty spectacular it's instant feedback it's why i love doing uh when in my younger days nightclub djing oh, and then yeah. in my older days you know at you know bar trivia you know right. like cracking a joke or playing the right song for the right question kind of thing uh, absolutely you had a little bit of a jpz connection in seattle at one point too because you mentioned t-bone tierney was out there at one point did you guys overlap there have a little bit of a connection and with all the radio folks going out with the mariners yeah you know the tierney story is is awesome in that upon graduation you know like all of the students when you graduate i mean it's like okay what am i going to do now right right and mike said i'm going to come out and visit Seattle. And he stayed with me. He had some family out here. Um, he'd stay like a week with me. He'd go over there um, it, to his family. Stay Various couple- couches, I think he mentioned in his podcast. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And uh, he kind of became um super fan of the Mariners. And I would leave him one ticket at Will Call. You know, as an employee, you get tickets to the game. And so I would leave one of my tickets at Will Call for Mike almost every home game. One game I forgot. And the people at the ticket office got to know him so well. They're like, oh, you're Kevin's friend. Here you go. Here's a ticket. (laughs) (laughs) They just gave him a ticket, you know, and it was wonderful to have have him out here for for that time, too, because we'd ideate around things that we'd bring to the Mariners and uh, into our game presentation. And, you know, his career is incredible, what he went on to accomplish. Sure. And it's just so special to have him back in town now. He's working for Amazon Music. Yeah. We don't see each other as much as we would like, but we were just texting over Thanksgiving. We're going to get together here. Full disclosure, we're recording this in probably the one time of year that Kevin can talk to me, and that's the end of November <laughs> uh, with, the, with the baseball calendar. There you go. Other folks have referred to you as Tippy. How'd you get the nickname Tippy? I have to ask. It's a good one. There was a pitcher, you can look it up, for the Baltimore Orioles named Tippy Martinez. Uh, he was a left-handed pitcher. It was a nickname that uh, I had playing baseball. A lot of my teammates would call me Tippy. And, you know, you're trying to come up with different names for on-air. And originally, that was my first on-air DJ name. I later switched to Kevin Kelly. Um, so I thought that sounded more... More professional work. <laughs> You've got the alliteration. you got the two-syllable yeah. last name, all those radio rules. Yep, yep, yep. yep. So I, I transitioned to that. But for, I think my, my first year DJing, that was uh, the name I was uh, on. And T-Bone and I actually did a morning show for a little while. It was T-Bone and Tippy. Again, the, the alliteration. But that was, I think, my junior year. And then I transitioned to Kevin Kelly my senior year. But yeah, it was a name after the pitcher for the Orioles. And he played for a couple other teams. I want to ask you, and I could geek out with you over baseball all day. I won't do that to our listeners. However, as we approach the 2024 season, a lot of changes in baseball lately, obviously, with the pitch clock and the ghost runner and all these other kind of things. You know, baseball has had, I would say, some challenges, to be fair. With some, um, but where do you see baseball now and what challenges do you see from your perspective as VP of marketing of a major league baseball team? Going forward, what does baseball need to do and what does baseball need to continue to do? Yeah, and I think uh, this past season, Jag, as somebody who's worked in the game for three decades now, 
got to give baseball a lot of credit. Yeah. They really did a lot of research. They spent time and talking to fans and listening to fans. And in any business, that's something we, we should all be doing is listen to the people who are you know supporting your business. Listen to your customers. And they got a lot of feedback on time of game. And the games were getting so long and baseball, you know, the romantic in me putting a clock in baseball. I've loved this game pretty much since birth. It was a hard one. Yeah. But it was needed. The time batters were taking, stepping out of the box, pitchers taking between pitchers. It just, it extended the game unnecessarily. And we saw this year games get down to about 236, 238, much more manageable. Mm -hmm. The feedback from fans was terrific. We saw increases in TV ratings. The game's more watchable now. And they did some other things to put more motion into the game. You're seeing more stolen bases. You know, we've got to appeal to that next generation of fans, Jag. And we've got to build bonds between our players and the fans. And I credit baseball and the players in today's game, the use of social media to be accessible to fans. So people get invested not only in the, you know, the name on the front of the jersey, but, you know, who these players are. And not only are they exceptional athletes, they're really tremendous people and uh, have some great personalities. So the deeper you can make those connections. And again, I give a big cap tip to Major League Baseball because they're being very intentional about trying to make that happen. And I think there's uh, more opportunities to do that. I think tremendous strides were made this past season, and I'm really excited about where we're headed as a league, really. As we start to wrap up here, any other stories or things you want to mention? I was trying to think of something, you know, that hasn't been told. You've had so many great stories told. And, and I thought back, Jag, to the spring of 1986, and it was the day that Dwayne the Pearl Washington, basketball legend, decided that he was going to leave Syracuse early and go to the NBA. Mm -hmm. And yours truly had the sports report that afternoon <laughs> and got the opportunity on JPZ to break the news that Pearl's going pro. So, you know, broadcasting 101, what's the lead? What's the lead? And I'm racking my brain and I'm trying to come up with something terrific and I go, I find, you know, time's now, we got to go, Kev. And I get into the news booth and I'm looking across the glass at the, at the DJ at the time. And he sends it over to me, breaking news in sports, now for a sports report. And he sends it over to me and here's my lead. I say, diamonds may be forever, but pearls are not. Oh. Dwayne the Pearl Washington has decided to forego his final year of eligibility in the NBA. And as I'm doing this line and this lead, I mean, this is serious stuff. This is big news. The DJ and anybody who was at Cuse at the time, the DJ for this moment was a DJ by the name of E double R. Eric Renner, Rick Renner. He went on to be known as Rick Renner. He had a wonderful career in, in sports broadcasting, but E-double-R was one of the biggest personalities at Z89 at the time. Jag, his show from beginning to end was an absolute party. <laughs> he used sound effects. He had incredibly colorful language, all FCC approved. Um, <laughs> but he just had this energy. 
And anyway, I'm trying to deliver this breaking news uh, story. And I'm like, this is going to be my resume tape. This is going to be great. And ERR kept his mic open the entire time. As I'm giving the news, he's sobbing. Um, he's playing sound clips of like from movies that's like, don't go. Oh don't my God. Go. Oh. <laughs> I mean, he was so prepared for this moment and had this wonderful array of sound effects to integrate, if you will, into my my sports report. So I wrap up and I send it back to ERR and he's got music playing under me as I'm sending it back and it's the gap bands you dropped a bomb on me and he's doing he's doing this talk up that pearl washington has dropped a bomb on you know syracuse sports fans and don't go pearl don't go pearl and you heard it here first on c89 boom and he posts and it's just magic it was so great um he was such a talent and and so fun to be around and like I said, went on to have a great career in sports broadcasting. But again, it, it's another illustration of that wonderful opportunity to be so creative and take something that could be very mundane and staid and, you know, but hey, let's make it entertainment. And he did that better than anybody. First of all, huge props on the lead, because that's a great lead about diamonds and pearls. I, it's all these years later. I can appreciate a good lead. Uh, how did you react when you started hearing all these sound effects? Were you losing it or on the serious story or were you trying to roll with it? How did you handle it? Well, you know, to be completely honest, I was like, what the hell are you doing? But you're live. You can't. Yeah, you're live. So I just said, look, this is ERR, right? At the time, this was the show. Everybody on campus knew the show. Yeah. And it's like, you got to roll with it. Play along. This is This is his show. So I went with it and just had fun with it afterwards and again he's an upperclassman I'm like dude you, you pretty much killed me he's like oh no it was great it was great you did great buddy you did great that was awesome that was great and you know he ended up using it on his resume tape i never used <laughs> uh, it. <laughs> is that an meic on the shelf behind you i think it turned out okay for you yeah, yeah, that, that, was, that was from some uh, Mariners commercials. Yeah, that was great, <laughs> great fun. Great fun. Thank, thanks for noticing. Kevin, I can't thank you enough for coming to the podcast. Like so many of these, I have not stopped smiling for the last 35 minutes. It's really been a joy to visit with you today. So thank you so much for your time, your contributions to Z89, and, and really sharing some fun stuff with us today. Thank you, Jagger. Like I said, you're doing incredible work, and uh, we got to get you out to Seattle and, and watch the Mariners baseball. Sounds like a plan. The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.